Good evening, Matt. God, I was so ready to do that joke. It's not funny. It's a great joke. (laughs) Drinking night with the Movie Problem Podcast. Matt, Laura, we're here. We've got a bottle of Charm City Mead Works. Semi-sweet, barrel-aged honey wine. Straight out of Baltimore. Straight out of... I don't have that glass. Got it. Disaster um, averted. Just like the Vietnam War. No, that disaster was very much not averted. Go ahead and summarize it, Matt. How was it? Tonight we watched Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, Robin Williams plays Adrian Cronauer, a U.S. Army radio jock hosting a radio show in Saigon during the Vietnam War. He's controversial for his scandalous on-air jokes, but loved by the troops out in the field. But he's sheltered from the war, and he spends his days drinking and chasing girls in Saigon, more like he's on a vacation than in a war zone. That is until the war itself comes crashing in. Cronauer is pulled at the last moment from a bar of Vietnamese or from a bar by a Vietnamese friend, moments before the Viet Cong, Viet Cong blow at the bits. That friend turns out to be a VC agent. The two confront each other tearfully, each accusing the other of being the enemy. And Cronauer Bla- and ends up blackballed for this collaboration, this apparent collaboration with the Viet Cong. He returns to the United States, but the war goes on behind him as he departs. Heartbreaking. Mm. That was really good, though. Mm-hmm. That was really, really good. That's mm-hmm. probably the best of the four movies that we've done for this podcast thus far. Yeah. By a long shot. I, this, this, to me, very much is the Oscar Robin Williams should have won. Yeah, but, you know, who takes them seriously after the 2022 (laughs) (laughs) broadcast? Hmm. Yeah. It's funny, I actually look at my notes now. I have about half a page because I was so busy enjoying the movie, Mm -hmm. laughing and crying and cry laughing and laugh Mm -hmm. crying. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite thing about this movie is the way that Cronauer's journey is the American journey through Vietnam. He shows up naively thinking, this is a party. This is, this is, and and not just like this will be easy, which Americans very much thought going into Vietnam, but uh, the kind of, the image of Saigon as this party town and the way in which the stories that we tell about Vietnam and Saigon about, you know, the American GIs and the beautiful Vietnamese women and the drinking and the partying, there, there's, there's this veneer of almost a vacation about it. And it's only as, you know, that journey unfolds that the the violence under the surface emerges, the ambivalence and of the American role there, and and that we are that we are not the heroes that we thought we were when we got off the plane. Um, the the movie really uh, captured captures itself really well in that final confrontation with uh, with Cronauer and Tuan, his Vietnamese friend, where. Cronauer says, you know, I've been here for six months and it turns out my best friend is the enemy. And Tuan just comes out and hits him with both barrels. I'm not the enemy. You're the enemy. My family is dead. My friends are dead. And I still cared enough to pull you out of the jungle for some stupid reason. You know, it's interesting. You have that 
both at the macro mm-hmm. level and at the micro mm-hmm. level, you have almost every single scene is a metaphor for mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking and it's really hard to watch and it's just fascinating. And it also, it's like, it, it has a lot of really nice subtleties to that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, I think one of my favorite mm-hmm. pieces there was at the tail end, you have them playing baseball mm-hmm. with coconuts and pomelos mm-hmm. because pomelos are large grapefruits because we can afford bombs but we can't afford baseballs. Mm, that's interesting because I was actually I was actually skeptical of that sequence. It felt like it felt a little bit like cuz that follows immediately after this confrontation between Twan and Cronauer. Mm. And uh, which ends on a, a very dark note. Frankly, mm. it ends on one of one of my my favorite line of the whole movie is after Twan has has given Cronauer this you're the enemy, you you're screwing up my country mm. and and then disappears. Mm. Cronauer is left standing alone in this little building, you know, courtyard and he shouts, this will not look good on a resume. And that line this really hits the just American how, resume. Ju- well, just how, well, no, no, I mean, that, that line really hits how out of touch and disconnected those two worlds are. Well, and like, uh, yes, the, but that's like, also the, hilarious. This, well, yeah, no, but that's what I think makes it a great moment is that it's a great movie. The, the consequences, the, the, the consequences for Cronauer. Are so, but, are so insignificant compared to the very real consequences for Tuan and the Vietnamese people. The same the, the same way the consequences of the American involvement in Vietnam were so little compared to the complete devastation that was wrought oh, on that country. Good God, yes. But again, you take that line of "This will not yeah. look good on my resume." This is also kind of like America's calling card of like, yeah. "Hey, check mm-hmm. out Korea. Yeah. Check out Vietnam. Do you need help with your country?" <laughs> but yeah, like, it, like there's so many pieces that mm-hmm. you can just blow up into these bigger ideas, yeah. and it's just fun because they've set up this world where mm-hmm. this story, this this structure, mm-hmm. where you are constantly just taking things and in, in the movie is constantly inviting you to think about them on a deeper, bigger, grander, more geopolitical way. And I want to circle back to that because that was where I had a moment when, when, when you follow that moment with this will not look good on a resume with you cut immediately to Cronauer's leaving and then you, you in the sequence that culminates in the baseball scene it kind of left me wondering, what's the purpose of the baseball sequence at the end of the the movie? Is is it is it as simple as that ending on Tuan confronting Cronauer was too dark of a note f- for the for the movie to end on? No, I think that it was a very clear. Mm-hmm joke at how we can afford to blow up mm. the country in mm. the name of the Vietnamese people but we can't give them baseballs. <laughs> like okay. that's really messed up. Mm-hmm. But hilarious in the way that the movie's hilarious mm-hmm. in that 
This is a bigger thought that mm-hmm. you and I often talk about how do you make a war movie? How mm-hmm. do you make an anti-war movie? Because movies by their nature romanticize whatever is going mm-hmm. on on screen. And so you're always romanticizing war movies even if you're not trying to romanticize war. It's really hard to do it. And watching this movie, I was really fascinated by how they romanticize it in a really sarcastic way. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really, really unique and fascinating mm-hmm. to see that they kind of leaned into that mm-hmm. in that very, like, Stanley Kubrick, like, Mickey Mouse, like, s- soldiers marching through the jungle. Do you know what I'm... Re- There's a moment in one of the Kubrick films where the soldiers mm-hmm. are marching through the jungle singing the Mickey Mouse theme. Uh. And it's hilariously out of place and contrapuntal mm-hmm. in the same way that this entire movie is mm-hmm. of, like, everything's messed up. Mm-hmm. And it's captivating. Yeah. And a very good way of engaging the audience mm-hmm. in a piece of history that is frequently really hard yeah. to engage with. Yeah, I think this movie also does a good job, to your point, about the difficulty making an anti-war movie because if you depict war, you're depicting violence, and there's the spectacle of violence. Mm. And the way in which that violence is romanticized... I feel like one of the kind of hacks that this film uses is the violence is very sporadic. There's really only one major incident of violence when Jimmy Waugh's bar is blown up. And that is not... Having that violence off screen enables it to function a little bit like the monster in a good horror movie. That you're not... There's no one charging boldly into the... Uh, there's no charge of the light brigade. There's no, there's no dead bodies that are equal parts horror, but also spectacle. That, I disagree with that, actually, mm-hmm. because you did have that more serious explosion at mm-hmm. Jimmy Waz bar. Mm-hmm. However, there was quite a bit of mm-hmm. violence in a lot of the montages of songs mm-hmm. playing. Like, the You're Beach right. Boys are playing, and it's like... Mm-hmm. GIs are going off to war, and then, yeah. you know, here's a nice little rice field, and there go the bombs. That's fair. Um, but yeah, it's it, that's a whole thought in and of itself. Mm-hmm. This movie was almost like a master class in montage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, if I was teaching in an editing class, forget Battleship Potemkin. Play <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Play that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. It was so effective. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they got this movie made. Yeah, that actually was an interesting story. I read a little bit, not a lot, on on the history of it. And Adrian Cronauer actually is a real person. Uh, this is not at all based on a true story or anything like that. It, it is very, it is inspired by his experience in Saigon as a radio jock for Armed Forces Radio during the Vietnam War. Um, he shopped it around quite a bit, actually. MASH was on TV mm. when he was shopping this around. But for whatever reason, the Hollywood powers that be were very skeptical of the idea of, well, you can't make a, a comedy movie about Vietnam. You can't have, you can't have jokes in, in a Vietnam movie. Mm. 
So it, it had this kind of difficulty getting off the ground. It actually brings me Which to, is ironic. You can't. You, it's almost like Hollywood's yeah. censoring itself. And so much yeah. of the movie was dealing with that censorship around yeah. the news of the world. Okay, anyway, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No. Um, you want to roll. The, that, that actually brings me to a question I wanted to ask you. Mm. Do you think this is a comedy? Because I've seen it credited in a couple of places as I'm reading, looking it up on Wikipedia or looking at where it fits in, in Robin Williams's filmography. Well, first off, I on. love labels. Favorite thing ever. Yeah. It's very important to put things into boxes. <laughs> I why why do I need to label it though? I think of it as a jumping off point for an interesting conversation. Because I think while it contains comedic elements, I think ultimately the subject matter that it deals with, and particularly the way in which it steadily darkens. Oh, yeah. That darkness creeps in. Yeah. And, and I believe it's it, it very much for the first hour. It, it very much starts as a comedy. Just like the uh, Vietnam War. But did. but the the, the turning point is the moment that Robin Williams brings Tuan back to Jimmy Waz for the very first time. And they're having a good time at this bar, and they give a nice little joke where there's, you know, some Vietnamese girls over with these two butch, you know, um, soldiers, and some of them talk about, oh, we can't talk to girls like that, and Robin Williams, there's this lovely, like, military male gaze that's like the male gaze oh plus gosh. on the posteriors of the uh, of the Vietnamese girls. It's really funny. Uh, anyway. It was like the peach emoji. It was great. Uh, the <laughs> It wasn't subtle at all. But For as much subtlety as this movie has. Well, that's why it's the military. That's why it's the, <laughs> the male military. military. It's the male military gaze. It's, it's even more <laughs> Or unsubtle. Anyway, Robin Williams calls these girls over, and the up right up until that point, hmm. the movie is a comedy that just happens to be set at Vietnam in Vietnam. Yeah. And then two soldiers come over, flanking Tuan, and say, "Who let the gook in?" And from that moment on, you don't know it then, but from that's the first. That's the first moment the darkness creeps in from the edges, and it just keeps... It's almost claustrophobic. ...creeping in. And you see a lot of those barriers coming up and broken down at the same mm -hmm. time. You see Robin Williams go out to Tuan's village and yeah. meet his family. You see them at the movie theater with mm -hmm. both the American... Boy, that was a culture clash moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you continue to see these very distinct... Mm -hmm racial barriers mm -hmm. racial and cultural barriers coming mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. because this isn't like um what's oh what's the other movie Gran Torino where mm. you see a similar where you see cultural barriers coming up and then coming down yeah and then playing with those in an interesting way it's it's it's, it's actually very um it's very post civil rights 80s United States in its take on race relations mm. in the sense that there are there is not a learning process there is not like a, a structural racism there is there are two kinds of white people in the movie Hmm. There are the two big butch redneck guys that are like, who let the gook in? Hmm. And then there is Robin Williams, who is friends with a diverse friend group that contains both white and black and, you know, Vietnamese people. And it, it, it's that it, it's that post-civil rights 
white self-conception that mm-hmm. of there are the good ones and the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and those two categories as being clean and neat and distinct, which is convenient for storytelling, but obviously real human beings are much more complex. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker was fantastic. Oh, your baby Forrest Whitaker. He's so young. <laughs> he was so well. He was so well cast. He had so much fun, and he was a great foil to mm-hmm. Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Those two did so well together. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as you were talking through the structure of the movie, I actually find it really interesting that you have two. You have two narrative, two emotional narratives that are going mm-hmm. on. You have the emotional growth of Robin Williams and that moment where he loses all hope, mm-hmm. and then he's reminded of why he does what he does, mm. which is, oh, I was crying, and it was so funny, and mm. I was crying. Mm. It was so good. But it also, like, that's not where the movie ends because Mm. the movie isn't really about Robin Williams and that character growth and recognizing Mm. the why. His journey, why. The lesson he learns is not that the troops are important. Yeah. No. Instead, the movie spends a lot more time continuing its own exploration of Nam, question mark? Yeah. Which doesn't have any answers the movie doesn't provide you with any answers it just provides you with all of these really interesting and tragic and ironic yeah. and hilarious metaphors played out with ingenious actors and it just kind of ends with you know it's it's he goes home and he hopes that we all can go home that's yeah. that's the last line right you know the, the he's doing his little funny voice Goodbye, of like the, the, Vietnam. Yeah, the ruby slippers, and if we can click, you click, click your click, heels click. together, you can. We you can know, all no get out home. of Vietnam. Like, yeah, I hope we all can go home, but you know, that but will they? And with Robin Williams having passed, yeah, in the last decade, that still gets me. Yeah, and I know that Robin Williams is very special to Laura. I like. He taught your chemistry class. He taught my chemistry class. He signed my Nokia. Did he come in and hand your teacher a $50 bill and say, I want to teach before I die? (laughs) No, they were friends. They were friends. He was friends with Mr. Cedar, the chem teachers. Great. And random. So the other thing I wanted to kind of run by you, Hmm. we we recently watched Dr. Strangelove, and I Hmm. thought about, as I'm watching this this movie, uh, the way in which it overlaps with a lot of the post-Vietnam anti-war cinema mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the kind of anti-war, anti-military cinema that, that you know, Dr. Strangelove is a part of. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you have these different leadership figures that that represent the military um, mm. that, that, that Robin Williams has to navigate. You have mm-hmm. the two clone censors that don't say anything. They're literally twins. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they just, they, they just, they, were they cast circumvent the news. And, and by, and, and by, and by censoring the news, they actually end up denying, uh, Robin Williams the information he would have needed to not go into certain death while they were driving, not, not certain. Die, almost, certain. almost certain death while driving out to, to interview troops in the field. You also have both the incompetent lieutenant who insecure is insecure and can't really command respect. You have the f- overly aggressive, almost stereotypically uh, so sergeant that just hates Cronauer because he's 
funny and I don't like your tone and I don't like your politics and serious. Tim run out Very of the country. Serious. You know, and, and, and but at the top of that, you have this general, and it's almost like the you can almost feel this sense of the greatest generation rolling its eyes at the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. You have this one general who's an old salty guy, probably a World War II vet, who keeps bringing in the bigger picture that all of the things that the lieutenant and that the sergeant are missing are making a big deal about over the content of of Cronauer's radio show are completely meaningless. And what matters is the troops and the fact that this country is going to shit. And he, he keeps coming back to say I have bigger problems. There are bigger problems right now. Is this a personal issue? And, if so, go yeah. resolve And it. that was a character that was not in Doctor Strangelove. I don't remember that character being... It's been a while since I've seen yeah. Platoon or Full Metal yeah, Jacket. Yeah, it's really interesting of using comedy, of using yeah. comedic elements to tell an anti-war story mm-hmm. so that you're not... or you're, So you're sarcastically romanticizing mm-hmm. yeah. violence. And war, war. And Mm -hmm. there wasn't in... No, you... You know what? You had those characters in Dr. Strangelove, Mm -hmm. but you did not have them in positions of power. Mm. You saw that character as the RAF agent of like, please, yep. Yep, yep. Please give me the code to... to not cause World War III. Stop World War, please. And and it's... Mm -hmm. It's a political... Statement on both of those on where the power is. Yes, and how much power the reasonable mm-hmm. military man has. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's mm-hmm. a very interesting observation, and that's kind of cool. There are a lot of parallels between those two, even though you've got the Cold War and the pretty freaking hot Vietnam War. I mean, Robin Williams talks a lot about how hot it is. So hot. He's hot. <laughs> Oh, I miss him. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good movie, though. Again, I look at my sheet, I have like half a page of notes just because I was just, it was so astute. Mm -hmm. And almost every single scene is just a bigger metaphor for something about the Vietnam War. Can we talk about the music for a minute? I loved the score and the diegetic music. It's really awesome to see a movie set in this time period that knows that there's more than just Fortunate Son <laughs> as options to play. Um, yeah. I thought that the the music was really well put together, as you would expect from a movie about radio. They really yeah. chose their moments well also when they pivoted from that diegetic period radio rock hits to a more classical film score. And it's usually mm. in the the darker moments, the tenser moments, when Robin Williams is in danger in the jungle or when um, the when after the bombing at Jimmy Waz, when he's having this breakdown and reading the news on the air that he's supposed to censor yes. about what did just happen. And he's and, hitting his head on yeah, the microphone, yeah. breaking and, and, and that was more of a moment when they use silence, but the silence of that... At a moment of that's about censorship and then fading, pulling back out of the booth where he is and seeing all of the news tickers running all the time with all the censored news of the people that are dying and no one will read that. Hmm. 
That was really the nice. the musical decisions and and the sound were were also fantastic. And it just takes you back to that point in time mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you wonder how much were people aware of mm-hmm. how mu- of what were people aware? Yeah, I don't. I am. It's almost. I was born thing. in 1983. We should, so. we should rewatch the post, the breaking of the Pentagon Papers. Sure, I would watch that. We can that put that on the list. Might be a fun follow-up to this. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Nixon. <laughs> and they thought politics were weird then. Yep. Final thoughts? Well, my final thought is that I feel like the missed opportunity of the last century is that we never got a movie starring Robin Williams and directed by Quentin Tarantino. I think if you put that much energy on a single film, I don't know if you get a movie or like a generator. (laughs) Like you power the West Coast (laughs) with the energy output of the frenetic pace of those two things coming together. I love it. It would be so entertaining. It, it would. That, I, I absolutely would have paid to see that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Final thoughts on your end? Um, I feel like I got it all out, man. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I was at, I was thrilled at the opportunity to share it with you. Um, and yeah, I think it's the, it's the Oscar that uh, Robin Williams should have won. We'll just convince the Criterion Collection to release a I'll, version. Yeah, do our best. We'll design a nice poster for him or something. It'd be yeah. nice. Goodbye, Good Vietnam. Bye, unnecessary war. <laughs> oh man, that's dark. <laughs>